Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels, and as always, I'm delighted to have you with me as we talk about all the things going on in the sports world. Today's focus, the NFL and the UFC. Ryan Souls appears on the program first, my football insider to break down the divisional round. Mahomes' ankle, they get through the Jaguars, through the Chiefs. Bengals knock off the Bills, setting up a rematch of last year's AFC title game. The Philadelphia Eagles dismantle the Giants, and the Niners hold strong at home over the Cowboys. We preview the championship games, and we talk about the Hall of Fame class as well with the finalists announced, and we try to make our predictions for who gets in Canton this year. And then Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting joins the show. We break down last week's wild UFC 283 pay-per-view. Two title changes in that one. It was a remarkable event. We talk about the heavyweight division. Francis Nagano out of the UFC. John Jones fighting Cyril Gane. We talk a little bit about professional wrestling too, as we always do. It's Ryan Souls and Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, it's time to talk football into conference championship week in the NFL. Ryan Souls here on the Money Mitch Effect. Ryan, uh, three games left, but we got four teams left, and I think we got the four best teams in football. So I'm excited to break down the final push towards the Super Bowl with you here on the show. Man, I do too. I'm excited to be here, and I agree with you. I really do think we have the best four teams here. And I will say, you know, with the exception of the Eagles-Giants game and the Chiefs-Jags game, I think if the Bills would have won and I think if the Cowboys would have won, I still think we would have been at the best four teams because that's how close it's been this year. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to get into. I think we can just go in, in uh, sequential order and start with that Chiefs-Jags game, which got a little dicey for Kansas City. The story of that one was Patrick Mahomes hurting his ankle, trying to play through it, and he did play through it, missed some time there. Chiefs hold on to win 27-20. to 20. Um, let, Let's just... Let's take the big picture approach with this game in particular. The Chiefs winning it, managing, overcoming the injury to their guy, to their head honcho, doing it by relying on Travis Kelsey, who had one of the virtuoso performances that a tight end or any offensive player has had in a playoff game when they needed it. They also mm-hmm. got the run game going with Pacheco having the hot hand. McKinnon got a lot of touches. I think what the Chiefs are showing and the defense did its job holding up and in and, and the pressures that Spagnuolo put on was was great, but... They won in a different way, and, and as great as Mahomes in this offense has been with some other pieces there, I don't know that you could have always said that they could win this ugly game, they could rely on the run, they could do it kind of in an ugly way. So I was uh, impressed the Chiefs hung on given the uh, Mahomes injury. Yeah, man, I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. I think as much as we credit Patrick Mahomes um, for him coming back and gutting it out and playing well, I think, like you said, you've got to credit Andy Reid here because – you know, being a Philadelphia Eagle fan, seeing him as, you know, before he was big red, seeing him in uh, big green, if you if, I, if you want to say it that way, his mm-hmm. his game management decisions, not wanting to run the football. They ran the football 30 times in this game, uh, like you said, made it ugly. And I had a feeling just based on the body language, based on the press conferences after I think Andy really wanted to pull Patrick and let Chad Henney play. I think he thought the team was good enough to beat Jacksonville, but that just speaks to the competitor that Patrick Mahomes is. But Andy Reid gets gets a ton, a boatload of credit here just for the game plan. And you know this man don't like to run the football, and he ran it 30 times. 
Yeah, it was out of necessity in a lot of ways. Chad Henney comes in and, you know, orchestrates that 99-yard touchdown drive, and he didn't really have to throw it around. Just, just one point on him, Ryan, and, you know, he's been around forever. He's old, so old that he played football for Lloyd Carr at Michigan. That's a, that's a fact. The, yeah, I know. I remember watching him. The thing is, like, and I'm not saying that you need, you know, elite backups, whatever. Like, I think that can be overplayed because if your star guy goes out for a sustained period of time, you're done. But there is something to be said about just continuity, right? Like being in the building for years, knowing the system that in a pinch, in a, in a quick relief effort, I think that was kind of what we saw is that regardless of what Henny can or can't do, he just knows the offense and he'll do everything that Reed tells him. Oh, 100%. And, and never was a 5 for 7 for 23 yards more important. And, you know, like you said, it was a 90-yard drive, but the experience being there, uh, as a veteran, being in the league for a long, long time, and I, I don't, I forget how long he's been with Andy Reid, but he's been with Andy for quite a long time, and they had that familiarity. He's still getting some reps in practice, so he has familiarity. But to come out and do what he did, just to spell so Mahomes could get back on the field, you know, that's that's why you keep solid backups on the roster. Yeah. That's why good teams have solid backups. I uh, I think I'm getting closer to opening the door just a little bit on the Gronk-Kelsey discussion. Man. I mean, I'm not saying that oh. Gronk, Gronk was a total package in terms of blocking and being a beast, but this consistency that Kelsey's doing, it, it, that he has, is just remarkable stuff, especially in a game like that where they know that he's the guy well, and he still just finds a way to get open. And, and I agree 100%. He is definitely cracking that door. I will say, though, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Travis Kelsey, because he was one of my favorite players. How do you not double Travis Kelsey yeah. on every third down, especially after Patrick Mahomes comes back and he can't move around? Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you don't say, okay, Juju, you can beat us. If you beat us, we'll shake your hand. MVS, if you beat us, we'll shake your hand. McKinnon, if you beat us, oh. we'll go if you beat But Travis Kelsey... I get it. it. I get it. I do. So I get it. But that's, uh, and I understand it. It was an easy assumption to make. And also not being in the locker room and in the, in the coach's box, the points, right. the, 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 the devil's argument, I'm not even saying I would make this one. Chiefs had success running the ball. We're kind of gashing that way. And that last time, I mean, even with one leg, it's crazy. Mahomes is better than 80% of these quarterbacks without. And that, and he showed it on that Valdez Scantling touchdown pass where I thought the defense was pretty good. And, He's still making plays off of his wrong foot throwing the ball. It's tough, man. I really, I understand it. And for Jacksonville, you know, they were sluggish at times. They didn't take advantage of the opportunity when Mahomes went down. They opened it up late. It was a little too, little too late. And the turnover in the red zone cost them. But all things considered, I mean, this was a team that finished the season strong, won a playoff game. They've got to be feeling good, especially knowing Ryan, as we do watching all these games, a lot of teams in their similar situation, young up-and-coming team have laid huge huge eggs in this round, the divisional round for the first time. So I thought they showed me something here, being that it was their first time really in this dance. You know, 100%, man. You know, after Mahomes went down, I really thought this game was, this game was winnable for the Jags. I think the, the Christian Kirch, uh, Kirk drop changed things. Such a good throw, man. That was a great throw by Lawrence, and he just dropped throw. it. You gotta, yeah, you got to catch that ball. Um, one thing, you know, before – I talk about Jacksonville real quick. If this game didn't prove that Mahomes was the best quarterback in the game, I don't I don't know what will. Mm. And before 
He went well, down. He looked like he was going to have one of those games because the throws he was making before he got hurt were, I mean, they they were incredible throws. I'm with you, but there is one guy that's coming to town that's beaten him the last three times that I think is <laughs> is gaining on everybody in this league. But we'll get he to is. that. We'll, we'll get to that there. Uh, Jacksonville, yeah, year one. Remember that Chargers-Patriots game when they were Man. the new toy and the Patriots just beat the hell out of them? So exactly. That's what tends to happen. I mean, the Giants, as we'll get to in a second, that's kind of what happened there. So, yeah, Jacksonville, a lot to build on. Doug Peterson, first year, still kind of getting used to the roster pieces that he has and what he can do. So, uh, props again to Kansas City. I mean, they, they got the job done. They're back again. The uh, Mahomes stat of another, I think it's, you know, five straight years as a starter, and he's made the AFC title in every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's incredible. He All right. really is. All right, man. The uh, the night game saw your Eagles dominate the Giants, thirty eight to seven. It wasn't even that close. I think that the biggest thing here. I mean, the Eagles had the talent advantage across the board, and, and you know the Giants getting this far is, is one thing, but didn't really put up much of a fight. I think. Look, I mean, looking at this game, you just got to take the positive away that Jalen Hurts kind of looks like Jalen Hurts again. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot to say about this team, this offense. I think. To your point first, Jalen Hurts, he definitely looked like Jalen Hurts again. Uh, didn't see to have any problem with the shoulder. He was finding his receivers. Dallas Goddard looking like the upgrade from Zach Ertz when I didn't think it was going to be a few years ago, and that's looking like 100% the right decision by far. So happy to see him coming along. I will say, though, that I think the Eagles offensive line really wanted to make a statement. I think they had heard the chatter about Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and uh, Thibodeau and how good this line was. And I think, you know, I was I was worried, too, especially at the right tackle spot with Lane Johnson being hampered. If they were going to put Thibodeau on his side where they were, was he going to be a weak spot? And they did such a good job protecting Jalen Hurts. And this team looked like they could move the football at will. And just going to the Giants, I think the biggest thing that this proved the Giants are well coached, but not highly talented. You know, Brian Dayball did a hell of a job. I think you could see in the Bills game, you know, him being missed and with Daniel Jones elevating under his tutelage, it's obvious how good of a coach he is. But they, they got to get more talent. But I don't understand how when we got probably a quarter of the way through the first quarter, they weren't going to be able to block yeah. the Eagles defensive line. And that, that was kind of the biggest issue. They couldn't block them. They could, man. It was an impressive performance. You know, you forget the Eagles had the sack record this year, uh, led the league with them. So they're, they're beast on that side of the ball. And I think the giants tipped their hand when they went for it early. And I don't even, you know, in hindsight, I don't think it was a bad call because I think Dave all knew, like, we're not going to be able to stop this team. So we got to be no. aggressive and look, we got to, from a, we can't we can't play them from behind. I mean, they overachieved. We all agree. So like this game is a bad taste in their mouth. But the fact that they even got here with uh, essentially Ryan the same roster with some good rookies as last year, I mean, is incredible. Uh, it but, is, but yeah, it is, and it's a credit to the coaching. I think it really is. Another Philly uh, NFC Championship game at home, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm and yeah. It's going to be good. I can't wait. Ryan Souls here on the Money Mitch Effect. The Sunday games. Or maybe what we were looking forward to a little more for a competitive side, and uh, one of them didn't deliver because the Bengals went into Buffalo, and they just dominated Ryan. I mean, I, I was on record picking the Bengals in this one, but I was stunned that 
they kind of had their way with him in a game that didn't even feel as close as 27-10. to 10. It was a snow game. Burrow was incredible. The balance on offense was good. And that Cincinnati defense, well, two things really I want to get to is that the Bengal defense has been rounding into form kind of under the radar in the NFL landscape. And that line held up. And we can say maybe the Bills' defense wasn't as good as we thought they were, but I'm looking at it the other way. This was a much maligned and much injured Bengals O-line, and Burrow was pretty much clean the whole game. So I think a few things. I think credit to Joe Burrow. I, the way he was moving in the pocket, because early in the game, Buffalo was able to get a little bit of pressure, but he was moving around, making throws, slowed down the pass rush tremendously. And real quick, not to jump too far ahead, I think I would actually push back and say this was more of a discredit to the Buffalo defense not being able to pass rush, and I'm not sure if they're going to be able to block Chris Jones next week or this Sunday. So we, I, I think that's yet to be seen. But going back to the Bills, they were never in the game from the kickoff. Like you said, Burrow and the offense was super balanced. Joe Mixon came out and had a really good game also. They could run the ball. Zach Taylor has improved as a coach. You know, we, you and me were talking about this just early on last year. I was not sold on him at all. It was good to see him running some seven-man protections to protect his quarterback sometimes mm-hmm. and the, the route combinations to get Chase open and uh, to get uh, the tight end open on decoys all the time. was It was really cool. It seemed like uh, their pass catchers were catching balls uncontested in a lot of places just because of how well the scheme how well schemed the offense was and on the flip side why isn't Stefan Diggs being schemed up like Justin Jefferson is and I think Brian Dayball has a big thing to do with that I think mm, this team lies on Josh Allen to be Superman well let's look at the Bills for a second right Von Miller's injury injury huge you know other than Milano they didn't really have much of a rush and the secondary was kind of gashed in a lot of ways too I think that's a big part of it. The lack of a running game came, you know, came home to roost in a game where they just couldn't move the ball without Allen having to do big plays. They lost the intermediate play. I mean, realistically, you know, and and yeah, Diggs was kind of the only big play guy. I know Davis has been streaky and, and good at times too, but I, I think it, it's kind of funny to say this, but we look at, I'm always going to go back to the Patriots, right? Because they were the standard for so long. You think, why uh-huh. do these teams, why were they so good? Why were they so consistent? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with them peaking at the right time, rounding into form, and adapting into what it's going to take based on their roster's skill sets. Situational football. Doesn't it kind of feel like the Bills' season peaked when they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead? I think it 100% did. Be, uh, absolutely. I think that was their Super Bowl. And they were looking forward to it, and that probably was the worst thing that could have happened. Like, having a regular season game be your Super Bowl, and you, know, you conquer them, there's still a lot of football left. And that's just what I kept coming back to revisiting this. Yeah, and I think I think there's a lot to that. I think you might be absolutely right. Going to the defense, though, the, you know, what's interesting here, and I, I've always been a fan of Sean McDermott, but a team who was supposed to be prided for their defense, and I understand Von Miller going out, but Sean McDermott having a defensive background, they drafted for defense, and they're they're small, you know, so the, the, you're going to be able to run the ball on them, and the defense just was not up to par. So they really got to make some decisions of what they decide to do. I don't know if you can rely on how old is Von Miller, 33, 34 years old, mm-hmm. coming off an ACL in- injury. I don't know if you can rely on that. Yeah, he's 33, so and it's, it's, he's got a lot. And it wasn't the first injury either. So 
lot of money paid to him though, so he'll be in the plans for a while. Uh, there, there's there's a lot of credit you need to give to the Bengals. I mean, we just got to say, Bur- Burrow's cold, man. That he guy is. just peaks yeah. and he plays for the big moments and he relishes it. And 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 I don't want to throw the Brady comparisons or Peyton Manning, like Romo said. Skill set aside, there is just a certain calmness that he plays with that is very reminiscent of some of these all-time greats. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of Tom Brady a lot, I think, and there's not really a lot of he he's so cool, but there's not a lot of flash to his game at all. Mm-hmm. He's gonna make the right decision. He's gonna throw it to the open guy, but when you need him to make that throw, that money throw, he is gonna be able to make it every time, and. You know he he is he's a force to be reckoned with. He certainly is, man. And uh, better get those refunds, which is the great line after the game. That was that was just perfect. I mean, he's he's, he's another one. I mean, every year, but his rookie year now, he's you know going back. So we're talking mm-hmm. another year where he has a chance to go to a Super Bowl, gets back to the conference title game. Phenomenal stuff there. They've got a nice roster of skill players mixing, running the ball. P. Ryan's a good backup. We know Jamar Chase, but you could add Higgins in there and Boyd too. I mean, they've got they've got some players. Hayden Hurst had a great game too. If they got him going, I mean, it's scary. So, uh, props it, props all the Bengals except for Eli Apple. Uh, we're yeah, <laughs> had to get man. that in there. I mean, just of all the people to be talking trash to. That's what I'm saying. You're not even that good. Like no. you're you're an NFL corner. That, that's great, but. Bro, you the people you're talking about are so much better than you. It just I just shut up. I mean, there's so much video. That was you know, people can say what they want about social media being bad and, and I get that totally, but there's something kind of uh, endearing about how the second he posts something stupid, there's just clips waiting of him getting burned. Because him getting beat. There's I so much film. <laughs> Eli Apple getting torched. Yeah, it could be a Super Bowl even. Um all right. So yeah. the last the last game was Cowboys Niners, that nineties throwback, and it kind of was for most of this game defensively. The Niners win. Well, uh let's look at this from a couple different ways. First of all, Ryan, defensively, this was an old school slugfest. I thought both these defenses played great. I thought the yeah. Niners at the end getting pressure uh and just really doing a good job turning the tide in that second half. But Dallas' defense showed up, too. This was this was old-school football, and I thought at the end of the day, it came down to the quarterback position, and the Mr. Irrelevant rookie outplayed the multi-multi-million-dollar quarterback for Dallas. Well, man, and this, this leads me to the question I was going to ask you because <laughs> you started talking about the defenses. And before the game, if we had said that Dallas was going to hold San Francisco to 19 points, who mm. would you say was going to win the game? Oh, yeah. Now, now I would have maybe had pause, though, just because I'm kind of more hesitant with Dak as, as well, knowing how good the, the Niners are. But, yeah, you the Cowboys would have taken their chances. And if I would have told you that, you know, Marr would have made two field goals and just had the one miss extra point, because we were coming in this game thinking kicker could screw them, and it didn't get to that point. I mean, look, Dak played worse than the kicker that we've been – he did. essentially mocking all week and and you know the numbers you know and, and this could kind of get into it but he threw what two picks could have had probably at least two more there yeah, was just who, who greenlaw dropped one right and that the lack of the ball game that and, he dropped. and the lack of situational awareness ryan was the most stunning thing and that's where brock purdy i mean he didn't have a great game he was playing against a defense full of dogs too that were all over him but he didn't hurt his team and sometimes you know we can go to the all-time greats the Mannings and the Bradys and even the Rodgers and all these guys that we've seen, sometimes these are the games you have to put out in the playoffs. Okay, it's not there, not going to have it, not going to put up big numbers. 
just stay clean, don't turn it over, and don't do anything too stupid. And, you know, credit to Brock Purdy, he did that deck. It just, it seemed like he never found his footing. And, you know, it's fair to, fair to wonder if this is ever going to happen in a big game based on what we've seen the last couple of years. So, you know, I wonder, because I think that's an interesting question, because I think Keller Moore has to hold some of this, and I think Mike McCarthy has to hold some of this as well, because Dak did not play well. He didn't play well, really, coming down the, the, the end of the season in that stretch with all the interceptions he was throwing. But it's also obvious that there were two different offenses when Cooper Rush was in the football game mm-hmm. versus when Prescott was in the football game. And, and I'm saying that to say, I think one team knew and schemed around its quarterback's limitations and the other one tried to ignore those limitations. And mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. if Shanahan is designing and play calling for Dallas, how many points they win by? Yeah, I mean, that's fair because we even saw it in this game, right? He finds a way to get Greg Kittle the ball. I mean, that was a big part of it was we got to get uh-huh. Kittle – uh, George Kittle, excuse me, in space and and the running game. I mean, he got Elijah Mitchell going. He got McCaffrey moving around. I mean, that that's that's a top run was only thirteen yards, and it was at the end of the game. So I, that, I mean, Dallas hung in. Tony Pollard injury was huge. I mean, there is no denying that. To be fair, like that was a big loss for their, you know, with CD Lamb, their most dynamic skill player. But yeah, well, and I think. It's just you got all you could ask for from the Cowboy defense. Like, you can't ask for more on the road in a situation like this. You can't. You can't ask for more. And I think this game was so winnable for Dallas. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's a toss-up between Pollard and CeeDee Lamb for who the best Mm -hmm. player on that offense is. Yeah. I think it's a considerable question who you build around going forward because I don't think Zeke's going to be with the team. But how does that work? I mean, the contracts, he, like, what's, he's got a few years left, I think, with that huge deal. So He does. I, I think mean, like $12 million. And he, and he was okay yesterday, too. I know I'm a little biased there. But it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, the contract's crazy. But I, I just. Guy, though, man. Like, that ain't no, I know. the same dude. I know, but who's to say Pollard doesn't get the pay somewhere else? You know, and that's the thing with. Oh, with that's running, true. You know, yeah. So. And who's to say Pollard looks like this when he's getting a Zeke style workload because he's share, he's been sharing carries. He's never been the guy. That last play was so funny though. I mean, it was just the last drive itself was just the comedy of errors, and then the last play, Zeke just that, gets Zeke just gets trucked immediately. And, and then <laughs> I mean, they have a play like that, and I guarantee you, two weeks from now, we're gonna hear Kellen Moore is interviewed at somewhere for the head coaching job of some team, and that that's the last play that we get to remember you by. Ezekiel Elliott getting pancaked. It could have been worse, too, I feel like. It could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. It really could have been. Hey, what's, this, so, th- what's this three years now? Three out of four years, the Niners are in the NFC Championship game? Crazy consistency for Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you got you to gotta give it to him that this is one of the, if not the, elite play callers in the NFL. Oh, 100%. I mean, just one of the elite coaches, period. I mean, just the, the way he manages the game. Yeah, no Tom Brady, no Mahomes, no Rodgers. Like, okay, three, you know, Garoppolo twice, and now Brock Purdy. I mean, it doesn't really yeah. matter necessarily. Uh, and, and shout out to D'Amico Ryan. Shout out to Fred yeah. Warner, too. Oh, Warner's amazing. Third-round pick, B.Y. I, I couldn't believe that he fell that far watching him play. Jimmy yeah. Ward had a game, too. Uh, you know, they're full of studs. It's not just Bosa and company up front. They've got a lot of talent. I think D'Amico Ryans will be a head coach soon. And uh, we'll see. Now, the thing with him, though, just the last point is I just also want to throw out there, I think we got four offensive coaches here now in the final four. So 
defensive coaches i know there's there's great defensive head coaches still in the league but this is a uh a four for four offensive guys in the in the championship round it is and you know it's been a while i think you know well last year we got in the super bowl with stafford or, or not that um mcveigh and taylor guys from the same tree but no it is interesting because you know and i think once again going back to the patriots being the standard you're just used to Bill Belichick being one of those last four guys around. So, you know, there's going to be some defensive stalwart on one side of the bracket. And that just hasn't been there for a minute. Well, let's look at the odds and uh, make some predictions here on uh, Championship Sunday. And it starts with uh, Eagles, Niners, followed by Bengals, Chiefs. Interesting thoughts on this one. We'll start with the NFC game. Eagles at two and a half point favorite. So, I mean, both these lines are so close that the the odds makers are basically saying it's it's close to a pick them in both. I mean, these are the top teams uh, with an over-under set at 46 in this one. Eagles at home, big opportunity for them. They get the rookie quarterback coming in here, and uh, that is poised to be a good situation too. But to be fair, Ryan, this is the Jalen Hurts test that, <laughs> I mean, we were all looking forward to. Obviously, he's proved himself to be a legit quarterback, but... Mm-hmm. Step up in competition uh, from Giants defense to Niners is going to be pretty steep. So we'll see how healthy and how efficient he really is. Yeah, I think we will too. And I, I think, Mitch, honestly, this game is going to be about the trenches, man, on both sides. Can can the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line hold up against the Niners pass rush? And can the Niners offensive line hold up against the Eagles pass rush? I think that's what the game is going to come down to. I think if both teams can hold up, each other's receivers can get open on the other one's secondary. I think that A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith won't have a problem if Hurts has time, if they're able to run the football. That It's going to be interesting because both teams play better when they play with the lead. So who imposes whose style? And I think ultimately this game is going to be about Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Trent Williams, and Dominican Sue, Mike McGinchy, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson. That that's what this game is gonna be about. Man, I <laughs> I'm thinking about picks in this game and the next one, and I really don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm still in my mind going back and forth, and I'm fully prepared to be 0 and 2 when it's over. Uh, but that I guess that's that shows you how just competitive this weekend could be. Absolutely. I know you absolutely I know you're riding with your boys. Um, I am, but man, this is this is scary. I mean, this this team is is really good. They're really well coached. I think it, Shanahan can scheme it to where the rookie quarterback ain't gonna have to play a ton of quarterback. The Eagles are gonna have to force their hand in that, and that I think that's really what it's gonna be about. I like the Eagles um, in a close game. I don't know if it's going to be a situation about who has the ball last because I think any defense is capable of getting a stop at any time, but I think somehow the Eagles come out on top. I'm going to say like 24-20 Philly. Okay. I think I'm going to, unfortunately, no offense, go Niners in this one. Um, And no offense here. All these teams are excellent. I'll say like I'll say like twenty three nineteen. I don't know, <laughs> just making up scores at this point. I think it's going to be a dog fight, and I think it's going to be so fun to watch. It is. It's, it's, I mean, I'm really excited for this game. 
Bengals Chiefs rematch exact same place uh, of last year's AFC title game that the Bengals won on the road. Chiefs just a one and a, now now the Chiefs are a one and a half point underdog actually in this situation because the Mahomes injury uncertainty. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a high ankle sprain, which and and Tony Romo said it like there's no guarantee that I mean he'll play because Mahomes is going to do whatever it takes to be out there, which I respect. But what's the effectiveness going to look like is very fair, open for interpretation. Both these teams yeah. are so tightly, tightly matched, tightly contested. A lot of skill, a lot of size and grit on both sides. But I'm going with the Bengals, man. I'm riding the hot hand. I think it stays Burrowhead this weekend. Yeah, the, you know, this has been the hardest game to pick. And I think it really just may be contingent on just how injured Patrick Mahomes is, how much he can move around in the pocket, how much he can make those weird platform throws if he has to do it on that bad leg. From from a skill position standpoint, the Bengals have this, you know, with the exception of Travis Kelsey, I think the Bengals' defense is coming into form, but I will say that Bengals' offensive line, the Bills' defensive line is not Chris Jones and Frank Clark. And they, they're going to have to figure out how to block them. I think that could be huge. I think if Chris Jones has a good game, the Chiefs have a really good chance of winning. But, man, I think I'm going I'm going Chiefs in a close one. I think Patrick Mahomes turns into Isaiah Thomas against the Lakers on that one leg and <laughs> does the thing. Yeah, wow. I. I don't. I think there's a weird amount of pressure that's being put on the Chiefs, which I don't kind of understand, and I get it. Like, you know, they need to get their second Super Bowl. They've only got one. But like with Burrow, the window is Mahomes, right? So I think they're taking the long approach. I think, oddly enough, I mean, there was people that said they wouldn't even make the playoffs this year, which is insane. But, yeah. you know, I don't think that there's the pressure that... I think this team will be better is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think this they could win the Super Bowl. It wouldn't shock any of us. But I think the Chiefs, this was the reset year. So I think they're going to be even better next year. Yeah, I do too. I think they're going to be even better next year. I think they might even add a bona fide number one receiver uh, in the offseason. We'll see what, what what they have yet to do. This is going to be a really fun game, man. And I just the, – the greats just seem to – show up in these huge moments and I just I think that much of Patrick Mahomes and you know I'm an Eagles fan but from a jealous a jealousy standpoint or not even a jealousy standpoint a selfish standpoint I want to see the Kelsey Super Bowl oh now that would be fun I I know I picked completely against it but yeah that would be fun (laughs) you did yeah (laughs) Uh, it would be good to see um all right Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect let's wrap this up with the other thing we got to talk about the NFL Hall of Fame we, uh, I think we have what a couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be the night before the Super Bowl. I think they announced the class. So, mm-hmm. sometime, but wanted to get you on here to have your take on it. The finalists were announced, and you know, they're. I guess it's a good thing there is up to nine can get in now. They expanded the the amount of people that could get in, and we're not going to yeah. you know take the time talking about the senior committee, which you know we hope that they pick a good candidate there. But I guess I'll just turn the table. How do you see this going? Who are your picks that are in? And I guess you can start with locks, and then go for who you see rounds out the class. All right, let's do it. So, man, this is really interesting and really hard once you kind of look at the stats and just do some reminiscing on guys' careers because, you know, this is our era. And I think the two locks for me were 
Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis. I think Joe Thomas, just from the moment he came into the league, he was a stalwart at that position. I think he even got his money early, a week before the draft even happened, and knew he was going to be that good. And he played 10 years. It was 10 years of dominance. He's incredible offensive lineman. I think he should be first ballot Hall of Famer. Second lock, Revis Island. You look at his numbers, and compared to a Deion Sanders or a Rod Woodson, they're not that screen. They don't pop off your screen. But watching Revis play as the eye test is what tells you he's a Hall of Famer. Revis Island, dude's not throwing over there. Him locking up Randy Moss and uh, in, in his second prime, I guess you can call it. So Revis, Joe Thomas, my two locks. And then, man, this is where it really got hard because, and I'm going to go to pass rusher because you got DeMarcus Ware, you got Jared Allen, you got Dwight Freeney, each with almost 140 sacks. But the two guys I went with, I'm going DeMarcus Ware and Jared Allen. Uh, mm-hmm. Jared Allen with 136 sacks. DeMarcus Ware with 138 and a half sacks on four less game, or not four less, 11 less games. And he's he's a first ball, first ballot Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah. And then the last two guys, you know, because I think last night we talked about six. It was hard for me to look at these receivers. And while they were all great receivers, if you look at the numbers, they were all kind of the same guy if you took the name off. Reggie Wayne has a few more touchdowns and less games. Andre Johnson has more yards, is bigger. But if you just looked at these numbers without looking at the names, each of these guys, you know, has a case to get in. It's just how you've seen with the Hall, what they do with receivers. I'm going Patrick Willis for my fifth guy. And then my sixth guy, Man, I don't know. I don't know. This, this is throw a really receiver hard. in there? Let's say Reggie Wayne. Okay. I want to go Reggie Wayne. So this is good. Um, first of all, I agree with the two locks. My guy Joe Thomas didn't miss a snap, all the accolades. The one guy we had. I might have to go to Canton this year to honor him. <laughs> we'll see. I hear you. But him and Revis are in. Revis for sure is in too. After that's when it gets murky and we know the hall. And I'm not even going to try to do this like what I think is going to happen because I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we, we don't even – it's like a it's like a lost cause debating that. So I'll just go how I would do it. Like those two are in. Um, one of the guys that I'm, I'm just going to mention, someone that I don't – some of the people that aren't going to get in, unfortunately. I don't yeah. see Dwight Freeney getting in. Um, year one, I believe, and I just don't think – I mean, they hold the hall holds, you know, the year ones to a different standard, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, if we're going to be stacking yeah. up resumes, so uh, and Albert Lewis, shout out to him, uh, was a great cornerback for the Chiefs for a while. Revis's what? Whose numbers are better than Revis's? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and corner numbers is just crazy. Like, because it's hard to know. <laughs> you know, are they throwing? Mm-hmm. Do they just shut you out? All that stuff. Uh, Darren Woodson was another one that was kind of making his move, but I'm going to go with. Okay, I'm going to go with the two that I mentioned, and then I'm going to agree with you on Patrick Willis. I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy. I think he he was a dominant player for a short amount of time, and the standard is that's good. In my personal opinion, I think it's better to be dominant for seven or eight years versus consistent for 13. Just peak over part. longevity. Peak over longevity for the Hall. If your peak is that high, you know, if your peak is Darrell Davis low. And Willis he was. basically doubled Zach Thomas's career in half the time. Yeah, and Zach's another one. I don't think he gets in. I think it's it's stacked there. So those are three. 
for yeah. receivers, it's funny, Ryan, because I could see two getting in and not Reggie Wayne. I think it's time to get Tory Holy in the Hall of Fame. I think I would. And I think Andre is another one that's like right on the cusp. So, man, okay, you know what? This is. And then I would go cause... Demarcus Ware because I think I don't think Jared Allen's going to get in this year. So I okay. go Ware and the two receivers. They're probably really close, Allen and Ware. I mean, they're they're neck and neck. And also, shout out to uh, you know Willie Anderson who probably gets in if Joe Thomas isn't up. Well, I'm in for the Bengals. I think he's in the mix too. And you know. There's another guy we didn't even talk about. That's Devin Hester, which I wouldn't put in. I don't think you put in either, but it's a matter of eventually I think it's going to break right for him. I just think it's going to take some time. So let me ask you something about wide receivers for the Hall. When you have guys who are pretty close together Mm numbers-wise, I tend to look at reception and touchdown ratio. So how many balls you caught for your career and how many Mm -hmm. touchdowns. And for me, Reggie Wayne with 1,070 catches, 82 touchdowns, versus Torrey Holt, 920 receptions, 74 touchdowns. Like, how do you parse that with 1,000 less yards? So he has 13,382. Reggie Wayne has 14,345. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know how you parse that out. And then Andre Johnson, I think has 14,000 yards as well, but not as many touchdowns as Wayne either. And with a quarter, and is, we should do just lift uh, list with Andre Johnson's quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's his right. resume is just, here's the quarterbacks I played with. A hundred percent. A hundred. So like, I, I, I don't know. Well, that's like, the what, thing, right? Cause like, I guess that's, that's the yeah. human element, right? Like if we're going to draft, if we were just drafting our own squad, I feel like Andre's taking over those two. I agree 100%. You know, so that's, 100%. I, but I hear the Holt versus, uh, Holt versus, um, you know, other argument there yeah. with Reggie yeah. Wayne. And I was trying to see like peak years though, maybe because, because I agree with you, like Reggie Wayne, I mean, being on the Peyton Manning teams, I guess is going to hurt him in this case, right? Yeah. But I mean, Tori had Kurt for some time and Mark Bulger wasn't a slouch. That's he got true. The ball. And here's the other thing, though. Maybe it's the depth. Maybe it's the perceived difference. Because I think Holt was a number one guy. On you can argue like it's one A, one B with him and Isaac Bruce for a lot of those years. You yeah. Know, even after Bruce was gone, I don't think we ever had that argument with with Reggie Wayne. With all due respect, so. No, well, I think there were two years where they were him and Harrison okay. were one and one A, but for most of it, it was Harrison. So we, yeah. yeah, from, yeah, geez. I mean, 2003, 2003 was, was, uh, Holt's best year. He had 117 catches, 1696 yards and 12 touchdowns. Uh huh. I don't know that. We, I mean, I feel like Wayne didn't have a peak like that, but Reggie Wayne's best. He had, uh, 1510 yards, it's close. 104 yeah, catches it's close. and touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's close. It's close. <laughs> So like I don't more know years, do more years for sure. And I don't know, I guess I feel like, and Holt's been waiting a little longer. So maybe that's my tie, right? It's been a that few years. Sense. So, uh, no, look, I mean, I hope, Hey, I hope we're all just, I hope they add three more spots and it's not six, but just, I know they say they can do nine. I think we're just trying to figure out the process itself is it's kind of like politicking and present your case. So exactly. Um, Exactly. We'll see, but they have put two receivers in in the same class, so it's not just the one and done. You know, it could be two <laughs> linemen even, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting there. But you know what? Because uh, I was trying to think, like the NFL Hall of Fame is like the only one where 
it's the only one where I feel like it's so, I mean, baseball, but they've got their own problems, but yeah, it's so hard to get in. It's hard because there's so many, and I guess it's kind of good, right? Like, I mean, there's players that have gotten in there were players last year. I don't want to disrespect them, but yeah. that I would not well, have put in. Next one year, guy we didn't mention who's interesting here. Mm-hmm. Do they put Rondé Barber in to join Sap, Rice, DB, John Lynch? Or Simeon Rice, I don't think he's in there. He's yet. not in. Uh, uh, I, they, Rondé Barber is one that I don't. Barber? I would not put in. I mean, I, this is me. I don't think he's all famer, but if he gets in down the road, sure. Um, yeah, and I get I the symmetry I, of it. But you know, Zach Thomas not in, and I'm still salty because Clay Matthews Jr. is not in. <laughs> but oh, you know, and if we're talking linebacker numbers, let's just look at the tape. Let's look at the film. Let's look whatever you want to look at. But let's do it. I made that point enough. I was just going to say next year. Two first ballots that are getting in on next year's class. Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates. 100%. Right? Yeah, like, they're I, in. It's not even, like, right? Yeah. Like, no, no question. No did question. You, did you, have you looked at, like, the Peppers numbers, like, and just seen? <laughs> Peppers numbers are ridiculous, especially early. Like, his first, what, four or five years, those numbers are insane i mean the longevity too like he finished he started in 02 he ended in 2018 (laughs) you know and for i know the last year so even if you want to chop it at you know the the first of the two green uh, even okay even if it's the first of the two green bay years he was still good in the second but he was playing 16 games you know just listen to this this is from 2002 to 2010 12 sacks seven sacks 11 10, 10 and a half, 13, 2, because he didn't play, 14 and a half, 10 and a half. <laughs> like, that's your first 10 years in the league. I mean. 59 and a half sacks. It's crazy. It's it's really nuts. It's crazy. I mean, the fact, too, I guess, you know, he was playing through in 07 was the year that stands out for bad, but, I mean, he just snapped right back out of it. Like, it wasn't a down, it was one bad year. Just shook it off, came back. Right, and and the, and the the season before his last year, 2017, he had 11 sacks, 37 years old. Nine-time Pro Bowler, uh, all decade, all decade in two decades. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I would drop it at. Uh, just incredible. And Antonio Gates, man, I mean, is he in your top five tight ends ever? He's in mine, I listen, think. Listen, we have, the, I think you and I had this conversation. You can make a case outside of Rob Gronkowski, the best five tight ends ever to play all came out of the AFC West. Mm. And Antonio Gates is one of those dudes. He might be a top five tight end, 116 touchdowns, just an absolute red zone machine. I think in today's game would be just even deadlier with, with how the position is. No, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, just on the touchdown. Something more impressive about him that he wasn't the fastest guy and he had to basically learn pro football, like didn't play in college. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, nuts. which is nuts. nuts. Uh, Ryan Souls, this was fun. We'll enjoy the football. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Always a blast chopping it up. We'll see how it shakes out. But thanks again for coming on the podcast. Man, this is beautiful. Appreciate you. Always a blast talking football with Ryan Souls. We'll see if our predictions for the game and our predictions for the Hall of Fame are right. But thanks to Ryan all football season for breaking down the action. Good luck to his birds. 
Right now we're going to talk to Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting, UFC 283, Jamal Hill, and Randy Moreno taking home the belts. Lot to break down on that card. Looking forward to some fights, the heavyweight division, the Cyril Gane John Jones fight coming up in March, and some thoughts on all the developments in pro wrestling from the WWE to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Here's MMA Fighting's Jose Youngs now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us, it's been far too long since I had this gentleman on the show from MMA Fighting. It's Jose Youngs. A lot to discuss in the world of mixed martial arts and combat sports and some other topics as well. Jose, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, far too long, but uh, i got to pick your brain on some things, so thanks for coming back on. Yeah, anytime, man. It's first time, 2023, but I can't even remember the last time I was on this. I feel like we've been trying to set this up, but yeah. schedules, you know, we both have big big adult jobs that kind of take that's, our time away that's so true and uh you know you, you cover every every pay-per-view uh yeah. for the ufc and we're already on the ground running in 2023 and i thought about this in 2022 that it was a good year it had some good fights there was a lot of turmoil in a lot of ways and a lot of divisions but you know it was important to have this good you know ufc 283 to just kind of get us going with two title fights in brazil two brazilian fighting unfortunately for the home crowd it didn't quite go their way but this was, I think this was your theory. Sometimes the fight cards and sometimes the uh, the back end of the fights, the, the lesser built-up fights, end up being the best ones. I thought this was a pretty good fight card, top to bottom. Well, yeah, like you said, it was a good pay-per-view to kick off the year, especially if you look at the, the end of, or the beginning of, so one year ago, UFC 270, uh, January 2022, that was obviously the Cyril Gane, uh, Francis Ngannou mm-hmm. title unification fight. And obviously the Francis Ganu fight was all anyone could talk about because it ended up, as we know now, his last fight, his UFC career, uh, that as of now. And then Figueredo Moreno was the co-main event. That was part three. And Figueredo reclaims the title of one of the uh, staff. That was best fight of the year, which I actually do agree with. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the rest of that card, it wasn't that exciting. They had some good performances like Michael Morales and... Michelle Pajeda, like there were some good performances. Jack Detta, Madalena, obviously yeah. kind of announced his de- in debut in the UFC, but this was good top to bottom. It obviously, like you said, like there were, a lot of Brazilians did win, like the Gilbert Burns, the Johnny Walkers, mm-hmm. uh, though. The, the, so those were exciting. But then you you had Shogun <laughs> losing, and mm-hmm. then Figueiredo and Glover losing pretty one decidedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a bad day for Brazilian legends, but a good day for these new up-and-coming Brazilians, for sure. Especially Jelton Almeida. That dude's going to be a monster. Yeah, I mean, I, you could say that again. I'm, it's funny you mentioned him. I wanted your take. It just seems like he's like going to be the guy coming up. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick a guy on the UFC roster right now to win two belts, it's tough. If I only had to pick one, it's between Hamzat and Jelton Almeida. It's I think just, those, it's just so, so It's interesting you say that because like, I was talking to somebody also a big UFC fan who follows it doesn't cover it but he just said this guy has Cosmot vibes and now that you yeah, say that old, it's like you know it's it's crazy because like his first few fights I think I read a, a stat like he's 4-0 in the UFC 18-2 and two, and I don't really like calling him a prospect because he's 31 mm-hmm. and he has 20 professional fights just uh, he obviously won the contender series uh, with a choke but then he you know rattled off a bunch of wins in a row and he really shouldn't be a heavyweight he's not like he's not an intimidating presence like he he looks like john jones or rumble johnson he has that body just like shredded yeah, yeah. he's like a smaller 
smaller France than Ganu with arguably outside of Gilbert Burns and Charles Oliveira, I'd probably put Jailton Almeida two mm. or three of best submission specialists in the UFC. That's including those two, like I said, and of course Mackenzie Dern uh, and Vernon Jandaro, but they're also very talented as well. But uh, oh. Jailton went up to heavyweight kind of yeah. out of necessity. Like the UFC yeah. needed an opponent for someone. And then he won. It was like, remember Calvin went up to middleweight and just kept winning? Uh-huh. It's same thing. So... He'll win the heavyweight title, and I still think he could drop back to a five and win the light heavyweight title for sure. It's scary you say how good his submissions are, and then you know he doesn't need to win that way uh, on on Saturday. Just remarkable stuff there. Uh, looking at the main card and, and kind of going in reverse order. I mean, shout out you met you know nice segue here at the contender series. Jamal Hill, first champion yeah. out of that series, first guy to go through the contender series and get get a belt, doing it on hostile territory, a road game. Beats Glover to share for that light heavyweight title. 12 and 1 as a, as a fighter. He mm-hmm. goes in, he gets the decision, a five round fight. A, I don't want to say virtuoso performance, but pretty near that. He was on his game from the beginning. It's been a quick rise for this guy and an opportunity. We always say be ready when opportunity knocks. If that draw doesn't happen, and we can talk about that too, it seemed like that was kind of the route that they decided to go. They needed another title fight. They went Glover and Jamal Hill. And Hill's got the belt. It's a it's a great rise, one that I think some people saw coming, Jose, but maybe not this fast. Yeah, I didn't see this coming this fast. I didn't see him having this performance against specifically against Glover Teixeira. Jamal Hill obviously has what Johnny Walker has described as the touch of death because he's, you know, he's rearranged the faces of Thiago Santos, Johnny Walker, Jimmy Crude, Ovin St. Pru. Uh, and his only loss was to Paul Craig, and kind of that was his first professional loss, and that's when his arms snapped in half. Uh, when he got stuck in a, a submission off the bottom, like an arm bar, like it was an arm bar, triangle choke type thing, because Paul Craig is so good in his guard that he kind of do whatever he wants. Officially, it was a TKO because he was getting elbowed from the bottom and he had to tap because his arm was kind of hanging yeah. off to the side. And it was like, it, and he, he kind of said that that was just a turning point in his life. Like he can't enter a fight thinking he was just going to dominate. And since then, I thought Glover was going to win. I want, I don't want to say easily. But it was pretty crazy to me that Glover was the underdog considering Jamal Hill's previous fight against Thiago Santos, who is an incredible striker. Like, that is what he is known for. It took John Jones to the limit, has highlight reel after highlight reel win. And Thiago Santos took Jamal Hill down a bunch. Yeah. And Glover is a much better wrestler and grappler than Thiago Santos. And the, so the fact that, A, Jamal Hill won, was supposed to fight next month. So he mm. moved his camp up a month. <laughs> Flew to Brazil in enemy territory, like you said. And then if you look at his record, it's a lot of TKO finishes or one th- like a, a, like one decision win in the UFC, and that was three rounds. So the fact that he went Five. 5-0, like 50-44, one of those rounds was a 10-8 against mm-hmm. Glover, I just blew me away. I don't think he's the best light heavyweight in the world, but that on Saturday night, that's yeah. the performance of his life. You only have to beat one person, the other person in the cage. Back. And, I, and I'm Back. with you with the, the Santos fight especially because, unfortunately, hasn't been the same guy since he just destroyed his leg in that Jones fight. But, you know, props to Hill. It was a great performance. He's the champ, and we'll see what the future holds for him. A lot of opportunities in that division that suddenly got some depth to it now, which we love to see. Uh, Glover Teixeira retires at the end of that fight in his 40s, 33 and 9 as a pro. And just a little aside, Jose, as I was starting to kind of get into UFC, I remember this guy 
shouldn't say coming up because he was about 34, 35, but, you know, he beat Rampage Jackson, beat Ryan Bader, got the Jones fight lost, and then, you know, the career was kind of up and down, had the loss to Rumble John, you know, kept at it. And I think that's going to be, to me, and maybe a lot of people, his legacy is that he enjoyed fighting, first of all, he kept going, and he waited for his opportunity to, to, you know, run the gauntlet and get another title fight, and then actually did it into his 40s. So just a remarkable, I guess, renaissance from Glover, Glover to share at the end of his career. Way longer than most of us expected, and he will go down as a champion, which very few men can say. Yeah, the crazy stat that I read after the after he retired is uh, the UFC rankings came out ten years like the first rankings because before like do I'm sure everyone that listens to you know at this show that that follows MMA maybe they're not aware but the UFC hasn't always had rankings. Uh, they were introduced ten years ago. And Glover Teixeira debuted as the number four light heavyweight in the UFC, <laughs> and he retired as the number two light heavyweight in the UFC. That's he great. never, That's he great. never fell out of the top fifteen ever in ten years. Uh, and he's he's been on like you said, like this renaissance. Like I remember when, so I was first introduced to Glover before he joins the UFC, and he was this boogeyman that everyone said, well. Just wait till he gets to the UFC. He was like 17 and something and just dominating individuals. The problem is he couldn't get a visa or like a green card to, to work in the United States. And he just kept fighting like he I'm pretty sure he was offered to fight like he he met Dana White during the first Ultimate Fighter. Like That's <laughs> when he tried to, like in 2005. And then yeah. six years later, he made the UFC and just. You know, fought fought John Jones, got beat up, lost to Phil Davis, lost to Rumble, lost to Gustafson, lost to Corey Anderson, like a lot of really talented guys. And I remember when he lost to Phil Davis in 2014, people were like, oh, maybe Glover should retire then. And that was 10 years ago. <laughs> so the fact that he kept, like you said, kept winning and not, not only just kept winning, but stumbling, getting back, and winning the belt, uh, I don't know any a single person in the world that has anything negative to say about Glover Teixeira. Great human being in and out of the octagon. Amazing stuff. Uh, so, again, props to him on a great career, uh, getting the belt now, retiring, leaving his gloves in the cage. The other co-main event was the fourth fight between Figueredo and Marino, with Marino winning it again, winning the belt back. Yeah. You know he's two one and one in this in this rivalry, and look, four times is a lot, and I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened before in the UFC. And now we're looking at you know what happens next for these guys. But I want to give both these men their flowers and their and their kudos for what they did. And it looks to me, and I'll and I'll ask you this because you're way more familiar with this. They just look like they've separated themselves so much more. Like four fights, and we could keep going down the road because it's a great fight number one when they're in there and. They're just, they seem like they've separated themselves from the pack mightily. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because Figueredo, obviously, he lost. Uh, he I he technically should have won the first fight. Right. But he the, had the he point lost deduction. The round. Yeah, lost the point. Well, yeah. He, yeah. he lost the point yeah. deduction for the low blow, which mm -hmm. caused the draw. And then a lot of stuff happened out of out of the cage in his life. And mm -hmm. the second fight, barely mm -hmm. made weight and then came back and won. I scored it for him in the third one. And then, like you said, this was the first time ever in UC history that people fought four times, all of which were for the bell and all of which mm -hmm. were insane fight of the night performances. I wouldn't mind seeing five and six, but Figueredo did announce he was moving up to bantamweight because yeah. the weight cut is just too much mm -hmm. for him at this point. And it's interesting you say they separated themselves from the pack because the man waiting for Brandon Moreno 
is Alexandre Pantoja, another Brazilian who's already beaten Brandon Moreno twice. <laughs> he beat him mm. on the Ultimate Fighter, and he beat him in the UFC. In fact, when Alexandre Pantoja beat Brandon Moreno in 2018, the UFC cut Brandon Moreno. <laughs> yeah. And then he went, he had to go win the LFA title and then come back again to fight in Mexico City against Askar Askarov to a draw. So Alexandre Pantoja, prob- if, if if this four these four fights, this quadrilogy, quadrology, whatever you want to call it, if these didn't happen, Alexandre Pantoja would have already gotten the title fight so uh, that, solely because yeah. he's 2-0 and against Brian Reynolds. So that fight, and that was one of the ones, correct me, were you not at that fight, Island, the uh, the uh, loss that uh, Pantoja, because I know who he is when he fought, uh, it was Askarov when he lost. Yeah, that was the that was one of the, the, the last fight. The, Last pay per view, or he wasn't on the pay per view. He was on the undercard. Of so that that uh, that result is huge, right? Because like you know, he's been pretty clean, pretty good. I mean, he hasn't really lost. Other than that, that was yeah. a big setback for him. I guess no. I well, mean, yeah. Well, he also yeah. he lost to Davidson Figueredo at UFC two forty in yeah. a uh, underrated fight. Uh, Askar Askarov that beat Alexandre Pantoja uh, just lost to Kaikara France and then retired mm-hmm. uh, because of like health reasons stuff. But there was a point in time when Askar Askarov was kind of targeted as like the Habib of the division. Just it was only a matter of time before he got the belt. But fortunately he had to retire. I mean these guys are great. It's always fun watching them fight. Moreno's another champion, you know. Mexico's got yep. their champion and he's got, he's done it again and got the belt back, which was just remarkable stuff. So flyweight, I mean it's it's funny because every time we say, oh what's next with flyweight, I know it was on the chopping block years ago going into that yeah. Sahudo Dillashaw fight. And now you know, kind of like light heavyweight, we got some depth to the, through the division. So it's interesting to see what happens going forward and how Figueredo looks moving up because, you know, there's no guarantee when you go up in weight. Uh, he, he has the skill, but I guess we'll have to see it ban weight. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what he looks like healthy because if you've seen him hit the scale at official weigh-ins, you would be shocked that that man could even remotely get close to 125 pounds. He's like single-digit body fat. Last couple things on this card that I want to get to. Uh, Gilbert Burns, uh, a solid round one submission over Neil Magny. Uh, just a great performance. Uh, has he entered, in your mind, has, has Burns entered that like gatekeeper mode? Because I feel like he's just, I mean, there's like a threshold to where he's had trouble, obviously. But he's pretty rock solid against, I guess, the guys that are ranked under him or around his ranking. It's tough. Because um, Neil Magny is more of a gatekeeper think Gilbert Burns because if you look at Neil Magny like Neil Magny has the most wins in UFC welterweight history mm-hmm. and this is a this this is a division that had George St. Pierre yeah. and Matt Hughes yeah. and all these guys and if you look at the guys that he's lost to like he'll win four or five in a row and then stumble to the Shavkat guys the Gilbert Burns the Michael Chiesa's the Ponzinibbio's but then he beats guys like Robbie Lawler Carlos yeah. Condit Kelvin Gastelum so the gatekeeper man, like role is still pretty much Neil Magny. Uh, Gilbert Burns is a guy that's going to struggle to get fights against <laughs> people ranked above him because he's already lost to Kamaru. Uh, he he beat Stephen Thompson. He had one of the best fights you'll mm. ever see against Hamza Shamayev, and I would love to see them fight again, especially in five rounds. He sh- like The fights to make are like Gilbert Burns versus... Colby? I don't even like the, that's it's it's either Gilbert Burns versus Colby or 
Colby versus Hamzat, Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Bilal Muhammad is ranked there, too. And Bilal Muhammad, has, I mean, Gilbert Burns has a real big issue where he lost and won, or, or he, he was ranked above Bilal, and then Bilal beat Sean Brady, who was ranked below Gilbert. And then Bilal Muhammad leapfrogged Gilbert Burns mm-hmm. in the rankings of UFC.com. So if you look at how the rankings yeah. lay out, Gilbert Burns should fight Bilal Muhammad and Hamzat should fight Colby Covington. <laughs> Colby's dealing with a little bit of a legal thing from getting sucker punched <laughs> yes, by Jorge yes. Masvidal. So it's tough. And then obviously Gilbert Burns will never fight you know, Vicente Luque because they're teammates. And yeah. Shavkat's also kind of trained at that gym mm-hmm. too. So they, a lot of these fights have to play out first. As far as Hamzat goes, just wanted to put a ribbon on it with this. I'm, I love watching him fight. I agree with you. That Burns fight mm-hmm. was incredible. Maybe my favorite fight of all of last year. But you can't rely on him. Like, he can't, like, with the weight yeah. thing. Like, you just can't. And that's where, you know, I struggle. I'm not going to say I'd ever be a good matchmaker. And we all would like to make these things happen. But, you know, I understand why it's just ridiculous because he's just not reliable. And it doesn't seem like he, he wants to kind of make the necessary adjustments. Also, if you look at his Instagram right now, Hamzat's not making welterweight anytime soon. That's the that other thing is... I was going to say. That's a big boy. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm yeah. if I'm the UFC, I try to make him fight Robert Whitaker next, and then if he beats Robert Whitaker, throw him in a title shot in middleweight right away. That is a fun fight. Wow, I didn't even think of that Whitaker Hamzat. <laughs> that's that's yeah. pretty good. That's the fight to make. Uh, Jose Young's here on the Money Mitch Effect. I, I want to do. Uh talk about some other big picture things off the jump mm-hmm. the heavyweight you know i don't want to say debacle mm-hmm. but what's going on there francis nagano out of the ufc um didn't get the, the terms he wanted and uh, don't want to too much get into that i just the other thing I, I the only thing i really want to say with francis is it's a shame that at least for the time being again never say never it's kind of like professional wrestling we don't know what the future holds but the fact that after a performance where he, he showed a lot of grit and beating Cyril Gunn, he's out. He's not going to be the UFC champion anymore. It's just a shame that he's not you know, in the mix here with John Jones coming to this division, with some fights to be made, with some new contenders coming up. Francis not being in the UFC, at least for the time being, maybe forever. Jose, it just doesn't really feel right. It's disappointing. Not because like everything that Francis asked for, for like, you know, like, uh, fight representatives and sponsorships and healthcare and all that. Like he for the right things, and I no one that follows the sport or covers the sport, covers the sport. That everything he asked for, none of that was gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's disappointing in the sense like and well, it's it's a double edged sword because well I'm I'm very happy that Francis you know and I respect Francis a ton for sticking to his guns you know, the UFC as. According to Dana White, and I've, I've obviously I've not seen contracts or the offers or anything. According to Dana White, they offered to make Francis the highest paid heavyweight in the history of the UFC. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the only one that would have been above him would have been Conor McGregor in all of the UFC. Mm-hmm. And Francis said that if he took that, he would have he would have felt like a sellout because he asked for all of these things for his fellow fighters. Uh, he also wanted to be free to box and do other things because if you know you're going to make a lot of money to box Tyson Fury if Tyson yeah. Fury wants to do that, um, it's just disappointing that we don't get to see him fight. You know, the John Jones fight because I think John Jones versus Francis, if they stick that in Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. could be the biggest fight in the history of the UFC. Uh, and obviously, we wanted the truly because everyone keeps calling you know Francis the best heavyweight in the world, which he was. And, 
he might as well he might very well be but him and Stipe are one on one um yeah. and and even said that if he he probably would have asked for three fights it would have been John Jones and then the Stipe trilogy and then a second John Jones fight those are the three fights he eyed um so it's just disappointing that we're missing out on some of these fights but all respect to Francis for sticking to his guns and knowing his worth yeah, I hope uh, I hope he finds you know a place that'll you know I shouldn't say a place, but you know a fight or an opportunity that is uh, well worth it for him financially and you know gets us going. I don't know what that would be, but you know all the best to Francis. It opens the door now for John Jones, Cyril Gane in March. That's an interesting one, and I'm going to start with this. Are you surprised that John Jones enters it as an initial underdog by the odds makers? Does that surprise you at all? Um, no, it's not really just because if you look at the last few fights that John Joe just had, which were, you know, back in 2020 before the pandemic even happened, the Tiago Santos, the Anthony Smith and the Dominic Reyes fights, those are, and I'm not saying they're bad performances, but they're are, they are probably the worst performances of John Jones's career, mm-hmm. uh, especially considering what we had compared to what we had seen John Jones do to other fighters in the past, especially that Dominic Reyes fight. I thought Dominic Reyes beat John Jones. Um, and I scored for Dominic Reyes. Most people scored it for Dominic Reyes, except for the people that were there at Cade's side in Houston. Um, so based off of that, based off of Cyril, pretty much only like he's only lost to Francis Ngannou, and then he, he showed great heart and a great recovery ability um, against Tai Tuivasa. He's very quick. He's very technical. He's very young. He's very powerful, and he's huge. We've not seen John Jones at heavyweight, so we've never really seen John Jones fight a guy that can equal and also have more physical well, abilities than him. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me. I, I, that last part is what I wanted to like hit a bell or something like the ding, ding, ding sound because it's him at heavyweight. It's also the the layoff, the rust. I know we identify him as the greatest mixed martial artist or up there with anyone that's ever done this, but. I, I, that's why, you know, in a perfect world, it would have been nice to see him fight somebody to just kind of see what the body is like and how he fights at his new weight and, and you know, against his new competition. So I'm not surprised. Look, the Francis fight was the one where I don't want to say we soured on him, but that's kind of just how the public perception is. I know he fought Tuivasa and, and starched him pretty good, but he got out grappled and then it came out that Francis had the, the leg injury. So leg injury. So I think that kind of left a sour taste in a lot of people people's mouths but i think the odds are, are fair for for the beginning it might shift a little bit but it's a fascinating fight we'll we'll see i guess we'll see a how how much cyril Gane has grown since that francis setback but more i guess more interesting to me is just what john jones looks like as a new fighter at his new weight and at this stage in his career where he is now mid-30s yeah and just the fact that we get john jones back into the world of mixed martial arts i'm I'm supremely excited. I I don't I consider George St. Pierre the greatest the greatest fighter in UFC history. You know the champ champ yeah. uh, beat everyone put in front of him. Everyone the two guys that beat him Matt Sarah and Matt Hughes he went on to avenge uh, those losses. So he's beaten everyone he's ever faced. Uh, in fact, beat Matt Hughes twice. Uh, never got the third fight against Matt Sarah, which is you know we pro- we know how that would have gone. Yeah. Uh, but if it's it's George and John. It's like Michael Jordan, LeBron. Like I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player, but I think LeBron is the most talented. George is the greatest fighter of all time, but John is by far the most talented fighter I've ever seen in the UFC. And if he beats Cyril, and then I don't know if beating Cyril will be enough to to supplant Cyril and Stipe. 
if he beats Cyril and then beats Stipe, I can comfortably say John Jones is the greatest fighter in MMA history. It'd be yeah. him, George Anderson, DJ Habib, Amanda Nunes, all BJ Penn, all those guys. Yeah. Well, it's apples to apples uh, compared yeah. to two all-time greats, but I'm glad you made that last point that he's still got a chance to write more of his career. So it's not officially right. done. Uh, no, I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait. A lot of storylines in the UFC. Uh, the last note, because we're not going to talk beforehand, but it's a long. It's you know a couple weeks away. But uh, are you favoring uh, Volkanovski, or do you think? Uh, no, 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 okay. no, no, All right. no, no, no. I think, I think it's. Page, I think. Yeah, I think is. I'm not by any means am I saying he's going to be Volkanovski easily. Volkanovski is rightfully the pound for pound number one fighter in the world, um, regardless of weight class. Islam is right there at number two. Don't really agree with that yet. I think he should have done a little bit more uh, to kind of, and I think he's kind of only number two by default because Usman and Israel Adesanya yeah, and Charles they both Oliveira lost. obviously yeah, they all lost. lost. Do, yeah. do you think? Do you agree with? I guess I don't know how genuine it is. I don't want to say it's not, but it could be motivation. But do you agree with the assessment from Khabib that Volkanovski is a tougher fight for Islam or no? Uh, than Charles yeah. was yeah, probably. That's, yeah, yeah. I think Charles is supremely is arguably the best. He has the most submission wins in UFC history. Uh, if you want to call him the best submission specialist in the UFC right now, with like Gilbert and Jelton and McKenzie and all that, I'm not going to argue. He is incredibly pow- he is underrated power. Like mm-hmm. like he shattered Justin Gaethje's nose. You know, uh, knocked out Michael Chandler, uh, submitted Dustin Poirier. <sighs> He, he might have just had a bad night, but Volkanovski is so – He's he all of his performances are basically perfect games. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's like his, his his run lately is like Pedro in 99. Oh. It just – it's not a matter of like is he going to win. <laughs> it's how many strikeouts is he going to throw. Will he give up more than one run? Like that's the that is the era that we're in right now with Alex Volkanovski because that second fight against Max, who a lot of people, you know, some people think that Max won. Uh, I think it was just a close fight. I'm not going to call it a robbery. Yeah. I did score for Volkanovski though. Volkanovski, you know, that was Fight Island, and there was like he eventually came out like he's he made so no much excuses. better since then. It's he, crazy. He also made no excuses for that performance because. Yeah. A USADA agent woke him up in the middle of the night while he was in like deep REM sleep after taking like a sleep sleep sleeping pill. So he was like half asleep during his fight against Max yeah. and still won. So Volkanovski is very easily the toughest fight for Islam, but I still pick Islam to win. I think Islam could be the most dominant fighter in the UFC right now. It's scary. It's scary. I'm not counting Volk out. Although with that no, ninety nine with that ninety nine Pedro reference that hurt with that, that ALDS performance. You're welcome. I know. That was rough. <laughs> hey, props for winning the fantasy league, by the way, with the team. Hey, I got real nervous. I got real nervous when yeah. I lost Debo Samuel and uh, um <laughs> Damian Pierce in like yeah. week thirteen or whatever. I was like, Oh no. Yeah. Like I'm finally gonna falter, but you know, John but W. Henry sucked. That's, the, that's why Supreme. I made the joke. Like, that's the team <laughs> name, and it had to win this year. But you actually do, and we can kind of just touch on baseball. You actually have, you know, one of your players at least locked up. So, you yeah, know, Devers it's... is a guy. But, I mean, it wasn't. Look, it's not. Vibes aren't great, obviously. Even as an outsider, he comes in for the Winter Classic. It's Bruin Penguins, which he has the ownership stake of the Penguins. Oh, yeah. And he just gets booed out of Fenway. As you should. <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, no, I mean it, it's got to be. It's frustrating for any fan base that 
doesn't pay its players, but I can't even imagine being a fan of a team with the resources that doesn't pay them. Bro, that's the problem. It's everyone saying like, oh, you got like you guys won four World Series and this and that. I'm like, we won those in spite of John Henry. You know, John Henry would sell one of those trophies to make a buck. That's you what tell, he would man. do. Like, the fact that like the, we basically traded and then we cut Jeter Downs. Yeah. We, I, like people aren't talking. We cut that. He was one of the pieces we Mookie trade. So yeah. we essentially traded Mookie Betts for Alex Verdugo one for one. <laughs> and I love Alex Verdugo. Yeah. He is not Mookie. Betts. No, no. Uh, the fact that they lowballed Xander, it's like if I'm Marcelo Myers, why, why, what confidence do I have that they'll pay me? Because he's only eighteen, nineteen. Trevor Story just had surgery on his elbow. He's not going to be ready for no. opening day. We are going to be competing <laughs> for. We're not better than the Yankees. We're definitely not better than the Rays. The Orioles terrify me. They're gonna be Uh-oh. on. They're, they're essentially the Braves of the American League, where they 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 just drafted perfectly, and they have a future All Star at every position. They have a future MVP in Adley Rushman. Wow. And wow. Deal. Yeah. And then the Blue Jays are. You know, they didn't get worse. So wow. we're competing for. I would be amazed if we finished in third place. Well, uh, my heart kind of bleeds a little bit for you. Not too much, though, because you have all those championships. But, hey, you know what? Um, it's a tough division, and uh, we'll see what happens. Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect. Last thing. Lots happened in the world of pro wrestling since we've talked, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, AEW's coming to town in a couple weeks for their first show in Arizona. I'm very excited for that. Of course, you know, I'll be there. WrestleMania season is around the corner, and I am beyond excited. For it's, the Royal Rumble. I am it's my favorite ecstatic. it's my favorite pay-per-view of the year. Um I actually you know what's yeah. weird is I've kind of come around to Saturday pay-per-views. Like at first I was like, this is kind of weird don't hate they're it. doing on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's kind of those things where I don't necessarily hate it because sometimes you get that Sunday fatigue of a long weekend and a Saturday night it's like, especially on the West Coast, I should say, it's not too bad at all. Yeah, it's true. The only downside is if I have to work a pay-per-view, oh, and, you yeah. know, we have to put on the UFC. <laughs> the UFC, I'm at a UFC fight, and all of a sudden, like, we're missing all the WWE stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah the WWE is, is there's some stuff. i like, nothing's perfect for both mm-hmm. AEW and mm-hmm. WWE. But uh, yeah, it's this is an it's one of the more interesting WrestleMania seasons we've had in a long time. There's, they could go a million different directions. They could. We'll see who comes back. It's in L.A. WrestleMania, so there, there's a lot of intrigue about. You know, I'm what, trying to go. I'm trying oh, to go to WrestleMania too. I so may, if I'm out there, we'll link. I may be there, but you know what the thing is? It's like talking about you know going to Mania and, and making that investment. Now you have the the what is it a wild card or like the the luck game of yeah. do you go to night one or night two and they hardly even announce the cards in advance so it's like what's on night one what's on night two because you know what'll end up happening is with my luck I'll just go to night one and night two will be like Stone Cold the Rock will come back it'll be you know right. the bloodline feud will be you know at the end there and it's like I'll be night one with. Yeah, I don't want to put right. anyone down, but you know. I'm also <laughs> very much looking forward to all the peripheral match, like you know, like PWG will do a yeah, show out there, yeah. like bar wrestling, or if that even still exists, GCW, like mm-hmm. all those independent shows. Blood Sport will probably <laughs> hold an event. Yeah. So if what, I can't get Mania tickets, I yeah. think I still might go for all the indie shows. What did you think? Very last thing. What did you think about Wrestle Kingdom this year? New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh man, it wasn't. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the best that in in recent years. Obviously, like I and people keep saying that the did you you did you watch you watched it, I right? watched it. Yes, I I, I shouldn't yeah, say so, I watched it. I watched matches after the fact. 
not live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Okada J White fight was Ooh. not as was was good. Yeah, was great. Even. Yeah. The Kenny Omega Will Osprey fight was obviously the better of the of the final two fights mm-hmm. or matches, I should say. I don't, I don't think it was that match was better than any of the Kenny Omega Okada matches. I think, if I think that that's makes right. sense because a, a lot of people are saying that Omega Osprey is one of the best matches you'll ever watch, which I'm not arguing against, but it, I don't think it was even so either man. My, best my match. thing is, my thing is. I mean, they're not that old, but like Okada's got more miles on him, and I don't want to say he's lost a step, but it's yeah. it's a little different with him now versus where he was during the Omega stage. And yeah, maybe it's just something special about Okada and Omega together that brought the best. And, that, and that's there's nothing wrong in saying that. That's just kind of how they pair up together. What, what's weird about it, and, and I agree. I mean, they were good. They were good to great. Maybe not you know the six star, or whatever you want to call it, but. I've kind of come around, come around more on Will Ospreay, and I kind of prefer oh, him yeah. to Jay White at this moment. Which I guarantee, if you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have gone the other way. Now I like Jay White, of course, but I th- Will Ospreay is the one who's gained the most on yeah. me, but anyone in the organization. Yeah, I think if you're talking about just pure athleticism mm-hmm. and like just like ability yeah, no, in yeah. the ring, mm-hmm. it Will Ospreay checks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're looking for it, just it just depends. Like will like Jay White, I think will check more of the boxes in the Western world because he's more of a character, if that makes sense. Like yeah. he'll have the methodical, like action matches. Uh, he would have a killer match match with Seth Rollins. Oh, will yeah. Osprey will just kind of throw his body around and just like with no regard for do humanity. you do you think I mean what are we calling her now not Sasha Banks but Mercedes Monet do you think she's gonna yeah. like because the debut wasn't great obviously <laughs> nope. watch the I footage did, I, of it but but what do you think her future is because I still think she's a top three or four woman wrestler in the world and one of the best ever but what's the future like for her. I'm. I'll have a better answer for that after her first match. She's obviously facing Kyrie Zane, who is uh, she's wrestled before mm-hmm. uh, in in WWE. The fact that New Japan has you know is now promoting women's wrestling is awesome because that they didn't they hadn't they didn't do that for their entire existence until like 2021 2022 so uh I think this is a great and th- that their first title match is happening in uh, in the U.S. Uh, one of the U.S. shows, mm. I think in San Jose or San Francisco. I, I'm not quite sure. I know it's in Cal in the Bay Area. Um, but, yeah, uh, Mercedes versus Kyrie, I think it's a perfect match uh, for that. And uh, Shingo Takage or Okada will be defending the heavyweight title, and Jay White is matching up with Eddie Kingston. So <laughs> that's going to be a bananas how, card. How do they do – and I didn't watch the most recent one. How do they – because I saw it. How do they do an MMA rules fight in – like what's the what's the ground rules there? It's like – it's uh, it's – it's like Bloodsport, where it's <laughs> oh, great. There's a there's Love a there, it's a promotion called Bloodsport. Well, there's a yeah. promotion called yeah. Bloodsport that yeah. like Matt Riddle, Josh Barnett, right? Uh, it's essentially catch wrestling. Okay, uh, if that makes it's catch like Josh Barnett style or Matt Riddle style catch wrestling. It's it's not everyone's cup of tea because it's mm-hmm. not really character driven. It's more of like old style, mm-hmm. you know, Simon Gotch wrestling, but it's, I love it. So I'm excited for it. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see what happens with uh, 
all the wrestling promotions. I love that New Japan's got some of the AEW stars back in, and they're they're doing some of that. So WrestleMania season, and then some good fights, man. This is just a great time of year. We got playoff football, we got fights, we got wrestling, uh, everything we could want and more. Uh, Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting. Check out his stuff on stuff on their website and on his social channels. Thanks, buddy, for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Looking forward to talking again soon. Hopefully we can link up in WrestleMania week, and hopefully it's not as long of a break between uh, you um, know segments with you, man. Anytime, and I'm looking forward for that. You know, I'm looking for that invite out to uh, Arizona. You know, I got to check it out there, so we'll have to do it. Dude, but... normally I would invite you down for Super Bowl week, but I'm gonna be in. Per- I'm gonna be because the Arizona's uh, host the Super Bowl this year. They're yeah. literally building downtown super bowl right outside my window but i'm gonna be in perth australia for ufc 284 that entire week so yeah. i'm missing the chaos hey maybe the week after or something but we'll, we'll figure it out jose let's do pleasure, it. My let's man. get uh spring training come, oh. come down for spring training oh, peace man I, that can happen always a pleasure my man that's it for this week's episode of the money mitch effect thanks again to ryan souls and jose young's And a reminder that you can catch this episode and every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on all your podcast platforms. Go to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Leave a rating, review, subscribe there. You can follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. And make sure you check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for this show and some exclusive content as well. We'll be back next week to recap the conference championship games and talk about more in the world of sports. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thanks again to my guests for appearing on today's show. This was The Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports.